In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Some of you might know by now that my wife Maddie and I are expecting our third child later this fall. And this week, in preparation for this big change, we surrendered our pride in exchange for a minivan. (laughs) Now that any sense of style or dignity has been laid to rest, we can finally stop caring about what people think of us, or as one comedian said, this is when we let go of our egos and begin our spiritual journey. (laughs) Of course, our spiritual journey will be kept in check due to one thing, car payments. (laughs) We may own a minivan, but we will spend the next handful of years paying back the debt we have accrued with this purchase. I wonder if you can relate at all. Debt is an inescapable part of life. Even if you have paid off your student loans, your medical bills, this month's utilities, you probably owe somebody something. An apology? A thank you card? A phone call? What do you say after a friend helps you? I owe you one? In a sense, to be alive in the world is to be in debt. Thankfully, Jesus is not ignorant to this reality. This morning, he tells a story that's all about debt. A king wishes to settle all accounts with his slaves. One particular slave owes him 10,000 talents, which is roughly $10 million, with interest rates maybe $12 million. Jesus says the king was going to sell this man into slavery along with his wife and children which was a common punishment at the time. But the servant begs for patience, says he'll pay back everything. And then out of pity, the king cuts his losses. No questions asked, absorbs this man's debt, and then releases him. The slave, in his newfound freedom, comes across a fellow slave who owes him a hundred denarii which is about $12,000 in today's terms. It's not nothing, but let's keep things in perspective. And he seizes his fellow servant by the throat. And despite the man's plea for mercy, he throws him in prison. Now, word gets back to the king, who summons the first slave and says, I forgave you all that debt. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave? The king then hands him over to be tortured until every last cent has been paid. It's not a happy ending. And it's not my job to really put a positive spin on it. So what are we to make of this story? Well, first, God recognizes that to be human is to be under an overwhelming sense of debt. The Bible constantly uses language about debt because it's often the perfect illustration for how sin operates in our lives. 
It is an unseen power that overcomes our own agency. It's an outside force that slowly and quietly constricts our freedom and can drive us to despair. For anyone living under significant debt, you are what you owe. Thankfully, Jesus does not assume the position of the loan shark, but that of the Redeemer. It turns out Jesus is a terrible bookkeeper. In Luke's Gospel, he says, Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. He flat out refuses to keep tallies on who owes or deserves anything. Now, if you're living in a spiritual kind of debtor's prison, to hear that you don't actually owe God anything is the sound of a jail cell door clattering open. The king has absorbed your debt. You're free to go. The tricky thing is that he asks us to do the same with each other. Earlier in Matthew's Gospel, when Jesus instructs us how to pray the Lord's Prayer, the phrase, forgive us our trespasses, is interchangeable with forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In today's passage, when Peter asks Jesus how many times he should forgive someone, suggesting as many as seven times, Peter thinks he's being generous. Within Judaism in that day, three times was sufficient to show someone mercy. Three strikes and you're out. And what does Jesus say? He says, you know, I would just stop counting altogether. Seventy-seven strikes. I don't know. Stop counting. How on earth are we to follow these instructions? To forgive and forget. To let bygones be bygones. To bury the hatchet. It's easier said than done. As American cartoonist Ken Hubbard once said, nobody forgets where they buried the hatchet. (laughs) I buried the hatchet, but I know it's right behind the shed. I'll get it any second. Even more so, I mean, what about justice? Are we going to let people get away with murder? Shouldn't they be punished, held accountable? To that question, Jesus reminds us that we are not the ones in power. The writer David Foster Wallace once said that we are kings and queens of our skull-sized kingdoms. But Jesus reminds us who the true king is and that we are but lowly servants. If you are keeping someone under your thumb until they pay back what you think they owe you, You are mistaking yourself for the king and forgetting the much greater debt that has been forgiven you. Even still, that takeaway is not enough for us. This story shows us that being the recipient of mercy does not automatically make you merciful. We are not the obedient servants we were intended to be. To forgive is divine, as the saying goes, but it's not in our nature. When a 19th century prime minister of Spain was on his deathbed, he was asked to forgive his enemies. 
He replied, I don't need to forgive my enemies. I have had them all shot. (laughs) You see, forgiveness is taking the bullet. Forgiveness is paying the cost that someone else owes. And rather than take the bullet, we will sooner hold a grudge, keep accounts, and demand repayment. This is why the king subjected himself to be a lowly slave. This is why the king handed himself over to be tortured in place of the wicked servant until the entire debt was paid off. You see, on the cross, you and I got away with murder because Jesus chose not to get away. You and I were let let off the hook only because God put himself on the hook in our own place. On the cross, the king absorbed the debts of the slaves by absorbing our sin. You see, God is not interested in repayment, but in redemption. In his final moments, Jesus proclaims a word that was often used in contracts, maybe even one that Jesus was familiar with as a carpenter. You see, when the last payment of debt had been made, the lender would write on the contract to telestai. To telestai, or it is finished. In other words, the debt has been paid in full. The contract has been fulfilled and has been signed in blood. If we are given eyes to see how precious that gift is, all other debts owed to us pale in comparison. Rod Rosenblatt is a theologian who once told the story of wrecking his car when he was 16. He was out with his friends who had all been drinking and he was drunk driving himself. After the accident, Rod called his dad and confessed that he was drunk. And later that night, he walks into his father's study and completely falls apart out of shame and guilt. He knew what he had done. He knew that it was wrong. He knew that he was responsible. After Rod had cried all there was to cry, his father asked him a question. What about tomorrow we go and get you a new car? Now, you might scoff at that gesture. It might not sound fair. You might think it's irresponsible. But Rod says at that moment he became a Christian. That's when forgiveness was not just an idea, but a personal experience. And Rod has since devoted his life to the gospel, teaching students for over 30 years about the wonders of God's love. This is the kind of forgiveness God has extended to you through Jesus Christ. In the car wreck of your life, 
he has given you a brand new car. It happens to be a minivan. <laughs> but it's paid in full. Amen.